Hello everyone, welcome to Adoption Adventures. Hoping that all is wonderful with yourselves. Um, believe it or not, this is yet again another recorded ahead of time episode. Um, I'm getting quite good at these, but don't panic, it's not going to last. Um, so I attended a training session um, last week and it was a training session delivered by One Yorkshire, I believe they are. Um, I will put the link to them in, in the bio um, to give them full credit. The training was um, brain-based parenting um, and it was a, a two-hour session centered around brain development, um, neurodevelopment, and um, sort of uh, parenting and things that we should look out for and things to recognize, essentially. Um, I have to say the training was fantastic. It was an online training session, so I'm always a little bit dubious about online sessions. Um, I I worry that you're gonna sort of you're gonna miss some interactions, or you're gonna miss something sort of of importance. But actually, the the presenter was fantastic, really engaging. Um, brought up some great slides. And again, was really good with those slides. It was not deaf by PowerPoint. It was it was really engaging, a, a really useful training session. Um, and obviously, I am not going to cover all that was covered in this training because it was a two-hour long session, and I'm not going to be talking for two hours. You would not listen. Uh, much better to break it down into <laughs> six bite-sized episodes <laughs> of all of the same content. Um, no, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of pull out some of the the key things that I took away from the training um, and sort of things that st stuck out with me and and struck me. Um, so. The first thing that we learned was about how the brain... Now, I will say, before I start all of this, this is how I took this information in. I am not a neuroscience scientist, um, and I may deliver some of this wrong. I may give some of the information incorrect. That is not my intention. I'm only going to tell you how I learned it and what I did learn. So if I give things the wrong name, my apologies, that's just how I learned it. Um, but if you find it interesting, then I would suggest that you take yourself on a, a training session or, or go on a learning journey. Um, so the brain is broken down into three sections. Um, section one is the reptilian brain. Section two is the mammalian brain. And then the third section is what is referred to as the or what was referred to as the primate section of the brain um, the reptilian brain gets information first and that is our instinctual reaction to things um, 
mammalian brain is where we start to have emotional responses and then the primate brain is when we start to think and we start to you know piece piece things together um now what i learned was the reptilian brain is 40 times faster than the other two parts of the brain as a result it will get all of the information that comes to our brain first and it will have the reaction first so the way that this was explained on the training um, if you are a driver think about when you are going to pull away out a roundabout and then someone comes around a roundabout a lot quicker than you'd ex expected and as a result they are now causing you a threat um, so in that instance what will happen is the reptilian brain is going to kick into gear and it's going to say you are in trouble you are in danger i need to save your life so what i'm going to do is i'm going to slam my foot onto the brakes or in reverse i'll, I'll, I'll slam it into um accelerate so as you can get away from this danger either way i'm going to get you out of the danger all of this happens in not even split seconds but it happens before your primate brain gets an opportunity to even compute that something was happening. Um, now the reptilian brain, this is where we have our instinctual reactions to things. The three main ones that we would recognize and know would be fight, flight, freeze. There are two additional ones, which are flop or fawn. Now, I'll handle the first three first. I've read a number of um, different neuro neurobiological books and studies into bio sort of um, body language and other, other sort of chemistry and stuff like that. And what, what they suggest is actually, we, we usually use fight, flight, freeze is how we say it, but watch the, the order it should go in is freeze flight fight what that means is when when we are met with danger met with a threat the first thing that we will do is freeze because that's our opportunity to analyze what's actually happening now that freeze will not necessarily last for long but that is our first reaction we will stop and assess what's going on then we move to flight. After we've stopped and seen what's going on, we first think, oh, if we keep still, would this danger go away? If our brain then says, no, it won't go away, our next thought process is, have I got time to run away? Will I make it? Will I survive if I run away? If our brain then does the calculations and says, no, you will not make it, we then go into the final phase of fight where we decide we are in imminent danger, we stand in still, the danger will still find us. Um, then if we run, we won't make it, we're gonna have to make a stand. So that's, that's a three. Um, fawn 
fawning over someone, um, you would have heard that term, it's where you're sort of doting on, you're trying to make yourself cute and cuddly, you're trying to make yourself um, more, less desirable as a target and more desirable as an ally. Um, so you would try to sort of make an ally out of the threat. You would try to get them to see you as something worth keeping around. Final one is flop. Very similar to freeze. Um, you know, it is very much a case of you just give up um, and you just say, I've got nothing else I can do. Do you know what? I, uh, this is a fight. I'm not going to win. Uh, nothing I can do will work. You might as well just go. Um, you could even say you're playing possum. You could play dead. There is, like I say, there is a, a distinct sort of link between freeze and flop. Um, but that is our reptilian brain doing its thing. Our reptilian brain will kick into gear and it will respond in those ways and say, no, you need to have one of these responses first. And as we're having those responses, um, our brain needs to calculate very quickly what response it's going to pick. Um, now, like I say, all of those things, they're happening in split seconds and they are happening without us really thinking about it. Um, what I learned, which I found really interesting um, and had no idea, as one compartment of the brain is active, the other two become inactive. So whilst you're having your reptilian response to something, you would not be able to have your primate logical thinker brain coming into gear because you are still in reptilian brain mode. And that is obviously then a knock-on effect. If, if any one of the segments of the brain is active, the other two will not be. Um, which I found really, really interesting. I, I had no idea, uh, and I, I kind of thought that you'd be able to still think logically even in that moment of panic, but no, absolutely not. You're still having your reptilian response, and once the reptilian brain is then silenced, then the other aspects of the brain can, can kick in. Um, when the reptilian brain is going off, um, there's a part of your brain, I think it's called the amygdala, um, which is almost like your fire alarm going off. Um, and it is just really, really going hell for leather. Um, and it's just letting the world know, no, I'm in danger, I'm in danger. Therefore, I'm not ready to think and I'm not ready to have an emotion. I am just having my reaction. Um, so that, that was what we learned about the segments of the brain, the makeup of, of the brain. We learned, and I'm pretty certain I've talked about this um, before, that you have your left hemisphere, your right hemisphere. Um, this is, and I'm... <laughs> I'm 100% not going to label these correctly. One side of your brain is the emotional side of the brain. The other side is the um, logical side of the brain. They are connected by a corpus callosum. That is correct. Um, they have done studies and they've identified that with 
um, young people that have suffered any degree of trauma, um, the corpus callosum will be thinner. Um, and that's where the messages go from either side of the brain or, or they go around the brain. Um, the more severe the neglect, the uh, more severe the trauma, the thinner the corpus callosum will be. Um, apparently, now I've not done this research, I've been told of this research. Um, I've been told that um, in girls who are sexually abused and boys who suffer neglect, they they will have the biggest reaction there. Um, so a boy that has gone through neglect, their corpus callosum will be thinner um, and vice versa for a girl. Um, so again, just something to be aware of that those messages aren't able to get to the other side quite as easily. Um, I'll, I will double check these numbers and if I got them wrong, I am really sorry and I will double confirm. I'm not next to my notes right now. Um, but I believe by the age of three or four, 80% of your brain has formed. And then I think by five, 90% of your brain has been formed. Um, so a lot of those things are happening and sort of not set in stone, but kind of set in stone. Uh, so the trainer said, you know, not that they would advocate this, but if you took a child and you left them in a dark room um, and you didn't let them see any light, uh, for four or five years, there is every possibility that that child would grow up blind. Um, same as speech, if a child doesn't talk by the age of five, that is it. They will never be able to speak. They will lose that ability. Um, like I say, not a neuroscientist, so I might be wrong on that, but I have heard that um, sort of that research a couple of times now so I'm going to assume it's it's accurate um, now obviously that 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 matters to us this all matters to us because it means that the young people that we love and care for um, they would have gone through any number of um, traumas even those that we are um, adopting in early permanence, foster for adoption, or straight from the hospital. Um, even a child who is uh, relinquished, so for those of you that don't know that term, this is when a parent makes the decision to no longer be the legal guardian for that child. They make the decision to, um, I want to say, put the child up for adoption, but I don't think that that's the right language. Um, they make the decision that they would like a local authority to find a family for, for those children. Um, I'm trying to be delicate with my language there. I'm hopeful that you understand what I'm saying there. Um, I'm avoiding, wholeheartedly avoiding the phrase, it's when the parents don't want them, because that is not the case. That is not the case. Um, but this is when a, a parent will decide that they cannot be the, the legal parent for their child and they would like their child to be, or they need their child to be adopted. 
So that is relinquished child. Even in those situations, that child has still gone through trauma. Um, not, not, there is never going to be a, a situation where we are becoming adopters to children that have not gone through trauma. It's just not going to happen. Um, so as a result, our children's brain development and brain makeup will have some of these issues, some of these difficulties. The older the child is when they leave those difficult environments and that and get away from the trauma, then the more significant that can be with the brain development. So it's, it's worth worth being aware of. Um, now, what what that all was was a fair amount of um, theory um, and uh, information and. And as I was listening, I was like, this you know, really interesting. But I'd now like to know how this looks in reality and what I should be looking out for. So the second half of the training was exactly that. Um, it was like they read my mind. Um, so the first thing that we kind of talked about was when our children are having those sort of reactions to situations and their behavior is is poor or whatever um we we will try to calm them down so if our child is I'm going to say having a paddy, <laughs> but having a meltdown, really, really losing their temper, not inconsolable. Um, if they're going through that, we will, as parents, think, right, okay, time to calm you down. Time to really get you, get your understand what's going on. <laughs> um, let me talk you through this. And quite often, us as parents, we will go, why are you doing that? <laughs> what do you hope to achieve from this? Um, why don't we calm down? Don't you think you should do this? All the while, and I am definitely one of those people, by the way, that is not, <laughs> this is not me coming from a place of judging. Um, but all the while, whilst those children are having those meltdowns, what's actually happening is their amygdala is firing off on all cylinders. They are in reptilian brain mode and they are not hearing you. They are not with you. They are not in the room. They are having their reptilian response to that situation. So whilst we try and talk logically, they cannot hear that. It's not sinking in. Remember, the other aspects of the brain are shut off. They are not allowed to be in operation right now. Um, so quite often, I know that we did this, particularly when little dude was younger. Um, quite often, we'd be like, right, well, if you carry on like this, uh, you're 
not going to have your Xbox for the day or we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. And we put in a whole host of punishments all whilst he was in mid-meltdown. So he didn't hear those things. All that happened was the amygdala just shouted louder. Um, That then caused him to have a bigger reaction, more fret, more worry, more stress. Um, We kept him in the reptilian brain. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the exact same thing when I was on the training. Yeah, do you know what? They're having that reaction, and it's all well and good you're saying what you're saying, but they're still, their behaviour is still unacceptable. I'm not just going to ignore that. No, absolutely you're not. They're not what this trainer suggested, not what I'm suggesting. I did have that as a concern. I was kind of sitting there thinking, well, yeah, okay, but when when my seven-year-old is screaming at me and throwing every shoe that I own at me, screaming at me about how rubbish I am, I'm going to have a reaction to that. Um, and there's going to be consequences. Absolutely right, there does need to be consequences. However, it's not something that is worth introducing at that moment. Talking about the consequences when they're in that state of mind isn't going to help them. They are not going to hear you. So what what we were told is in those moments, what we need to do is we need to allow them to have that emotional reaction or reptilian reaction rather have the reaction. We then get to observe what's going on and we need to help them get out of the reptilian brain, let them know that they are safe. Now, that can actually be words such as, we are okay. I know that you are really angry right now it does not change how much I love you. Now, again, they might not be able to hear that straight away, but this is language that they need to hear to get them out of the reptilian brain. And we need to let them, let them go, but to be able to hold them and to be able to say, right, you're having a big feeling right now. Are you okay? because we are okay and I know that that might sound a bit dad uses the word wafty <laughs> um, it might sound a bit like actually no this this kid really needs to to know right now that this is just not okay um, and do you know what you are human you are going to have a reaction to every situation. Will you have the right reaction? Not always, no. Because you're human and you are not perfect. And that's all right. Because you're going to go into reptilian brain too. Um, But if you can, you have the the chance to say to them, 
we're going through this at the moment, and I understand that. Um, I promise you, you're safe. You might be angry, but you are safe. Um, when they are then moving to calm themselves down, you will see it. I spoke to parents a number of times and they say, oh, you know, you can see that moment where it's almost a breaking in the, the cycle of it all. Um, and you just see them, one of the better phrase, they just take a breath. Um, I think I, I spoke to one parent and they said, oh, it's, it's at the point where you can see they're just about to get upset, but you've got to act quickly before they go to shame. Um, so it's finding that, that balance. Um, and at that point, you then reintroduce the emotion. You allow the emotional brain to start kicking in. And like I say, this is... It's very likely at this point you're going to get tears, upsets. Um, you might still have the the rage, the rage and the anger at this point. That might still be there, um, but the likelihood is it's now more more sadness than anything. Um, just got home, as you would have heard, and I've uh, I've now got, got to my uh, to my notes, so I'll, uh, I'll I'll check some of the things that I said. Um, but yeah, so in those in those situations, um, so what they said is you you need to think of the three R's. Okay? Um, so our response needs to be regulate, relate or repair, and then reason. So regulate is the first one uh, that I was just talking through. Um, it's very much a case of, um, sort of we need to we need to get you back calm again before anything else can happen. So I need to let you have your emotions. Um, then the relate the repair let them know that we care again are you okay do you need something letting them know yeah that was a that was a big thing um we there's going to be consequences but first and foremost are you all right um at that point you aren't going to be asking why you need to make sure that they're okay first, checking in with them. Once you've got that down, that's when you start to reason with them. You can reason through and go, right, X happened. There is now going to be a consequence. Um, so something that was 
suggested um, was sort of introducing like natural consequences. You smashed a plate. Now, as a result, you've got to do some extra chores to earn money to pay for it. Um, that sort of language, again, not necessarily those things, but it demonstrates there is a consequence to your actions and I'm going to talk you through exactly what happened, but it's a natural consequence. Um, so it's cause and effect. Um, so a lot of the behaviours that would be seen from um, our children would be um, stealing and hoarding, aggression and violence, lying, difficulties with self-care, self-sabotage, problems with their sleep, hyperkinetic, um, struggling to form or keep friendships. Um, a lot of those I, I can sort of see in little dude and some, some other children I've worked with as well. So definitely, definitely um, sort of seen there. Um, the, the trainer talked about um, disassociation. Um, and the the way that our our children can react when a threat is overwhelming. Now, what's really important here is she said a threat to you or I might be if we had a lion charging at us, and we would see that as a threat. For our children, it can be a perceived threat. So you or I might not see a threat that our children do. And they may see a threat in an act of kindness. And we have to respect and react to their perceived threat, not a threat that we believe exists. Um, now, for some of our children, when a threat becomes too overwhelming, um, our children can go through disassociation. So what can happen is they can have a reduced heart rate, they can become very compliant. There are times when uh, apparently children have um, developed mild amnesia, so they block certain things out. Um, there's something called derealization. Um, Apparently, this is sort of this and you aren't real. So none of what's happening to me is real. Um, then there's depersonalization, where they feel the threat, but not in their own body, um, not in themselves. They they feel it out of their body. Um, and then identity confusion. So children might hear voices. They may change their personalities. They may change voices to fit a certain thing um which was really sort of massive for me um i you know that there's people that i've worked with um adults with special needs where i've seen a lot of those things happened um which was yeah really really interesting um so then the trainer talked about how, you know, there's a lot of shame um, for our children. Um, they would see it that they have done something bad. 
uh, no, they don't see it that they've done something bad. They see it that they are bad themselves. Um, and apparently when, when we're in shame, we don't feel new experiences. Um, that was new information to me. Um, but when we're in the mode of shame, we're unable to experience anything new. Instead, we will assume what is going to happen and we will assume the worst. Um, and we will take it to the, the worst side of that, which I thought was, was really, really difficult to, to hear. Okay. So, again, like I said, what with all this theory, what are we going to do with it? Um, the trainer then came up with um, a toolbox of techniques. Um, I'm going to talk you through some of them, not all of them, but some of the ones that, that she talked to, to us about. Um, she recommended um, Sally Donovan Donovan as, a, as an author, um, really, really good for us. Then um, random acts of kindness. So this can be absolutely anything where we can just demonstrate that we feel love and affection for those that we have love and affection for, um, but have no reason to do this. So you could quite easily, I don't know, you could be out and you could buy a bar of chocolate and come home and say, oh, I was out and I was thinking of you. So here you go. This is for you. Irrelevant of how the day has been. Absolutely irrelevant of how the day has been. It's just, I care. Um, which then leads into unconditional good times. You deserve something good. Um, now, what the trainer said is sometimes when when our children have given us um, the, the difficult behaviours, if we stop and say, do you know what, let's do something good. Uh, we've had a really rubbish day, so let's, uh, let's go swimming. What she said was, this actually surprises the brain. The brain is, has got this map of what's happening and it's firing off those roots and going, right, I do this, this will happen, that will happen, and I know where this ends up. If you surprise the brain by going, actually, no, you know what? Yeah, you, you have had a rubbish day, but you're having a, a big feeling, so let's go and do something nice. It surprises the brain and can really sort of take it back and allow you to sort of shock the brain into getting it out of reptilian mode. Um, everyday acts of kindness. Uh, simple question, can I help you with that? Um, again, confident that a lot of these things we are already doing but just nice and easy um there was a talk of escape routes um now what what this was it's you need to have flexibility within your plans um so when you're organizing something you need to sort of be able to say to our children right okay we're going to go to this party but i understand that that might it might be a bit overwhelming for you so I've told everyone we're only going to be there for 20 minutes. Now, if you feel like you want to be there longer, we can stay longer. But if you want to get out, we can get out. Um, we did this with Little Dude um, for the first Christmas. 
we knew that it might be a bit overwhelming for him. So we came up with some code words and we said, right, if we feel like you are sort of getting a bit too hyper and you need to calm down, but we don't want to embarrass you in front of the family, we'll say a code word. And the, the code word um, for us, uh, the code word for us was, so he had one for us and we had one for him. It might have been the same word, but so I think it was the same word. Uh, we used the word Quidditch from Harry Potter. So if we said to him Quidditch, it meant, look, calm yourself down. If he said to us Quidditch, it meant he was feeling overwhelmed and we would then go out for a walk. So flexibility in the plan. Sometimes you can't have flexibility in the plan. You need to get into school. You need to be in uniform. There is no flexibility here. Get your little backside into your school uniform and into school. Um, so, yeah. Um, another one that they um, suggested, and I thought this was a really, really good idea, um, was introducing into your family the five-minute rule. And in that, what you're able to say and explain it when everyone is calm and collected, you have a moment and you realise that you're going to have a reaction to that. So you say, I'm actually going to take just five minutes before I respond to this. Now, that could be the child absolutely losing their temper. It could be a question uh, that you're just not ready for. It could be absolutely anything that you decide and where you think, mm, when this happens, I really react badly to that. So it's going to give you the opportunity to just have five minutes where you go, how should I respond to this? Let's get myself out of the reptilian brain. So that's a little one that I really liked. Um, then there's the 10 minutes. Now, this is where you introduce it to, to your family and you say, we have 10 minutes of solely our time. In this 10 minutes, there are no distractions allowed. So your phone has to go off. The telly has to go off. The radio, absolutely every distraction has to go off. And this is just 10 minutes for you and the child. It's not for you to sit down and interrogate them about their day. It's 10 minutes for the child to tell you what they would like to, how they would like to spend that 10 minutes with you. And apparently setting that time aside can actually have a huge impact for our children. I'm confident that all of you listening are kind of nodding and going, yeah, but I do more than just 10 minutes a day. Of course you do. Absolutely you do. I'm also aware that life has many, 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 many distractions. So how often are you able to just give yourself 10 minutes where you say, well, I'm not going to be contacted by the big wide world at the moment. Just not interested. So I thought that was um, that was really good. Um, permissive language. So instead of don't drop the plate, we're using hold the plate tightly. Um, instead of don't run down the stairs, could you walk down the stairs, please? So you're you're giving positive language and you're just swapping swapping the 
the language around. And apparently the idea is to sort of add an, an element of choice where possible um, to those things, because that, again, it just helps the cognitive um, sort of responses. Um, I'm just sorry, I'm just going through my, my list as as I'm sort of talking to you here. Um, lots of one wondering, um, but don't expect an immediate response. Talk about your own feelings, make them commonplace. Um, and then using PACE, Parenting by PACE, which I believe is Dan Hughes' research. I think as well, this may be getting a revamp. I believe it may be coming place instead of pace um, but this stands for playfulness acceptance curiosity and empathy and then the l stands for loving playfulness is creating a fun environment and um, to allow our children to just have some fun accepting um, i accept you unconditionally regardless of the behavior i accept you for you um, curiosity i wonder why you felt that way i wonder why you behave that way empathy that must have been really difficult for you. Um, obviously, I know I've just talked through those things and you probably know all of those things, but always nice to have it. Final thing as well that um, was mentioned was um, a lot of schools, educators, um, adults, essentially adults, I, I fall into this camp, will use the term challenging behaviour and what this uh, trainer suggested was actually it is not challenging behavior, it's distressed behavior. And whilst this child is reacting that way, they are in a state of distress. And what we need to do is we need to help them out of that state of distress. And I thought that that was really powerful language, actually. Um, it's very, very easy to label our children as um, children who have got challenging behaviors. Um, and difficult behaviours. But actually, if we realise that they are in a state of distress, it will allow us to have a little bit more empathy a little bit quicker. Um, so that's certainly something that I've I've been looking to put, put into place. Um, so just to conclude on this um, episode, so I've, like I said, I've sat down with my notes so I can just double check any of the things that I'd um, missed or misquoted. First one is it's one adoption West Yorkshire who put this training on. Uh, the trainer was Rianne um, and was amazing. 80% brain growth in the first three years. Pretty certain I said that. 90% of the brain development in the first five years. I may have said four, so just to double check that. Um, connections are activity dependent. Uh, so the connections that fire off into our brain are activity dependent. Um, we need to be doing things to make those connections. Um, any synapses that aren't being used will be lost through time through a natural process called pruning. Essentially, use it or lose it. Um, if we are not learning something, the brain will stop trying to remember it. Um, and that's natural and that's okay. There are times when we don't need to keep those brain functions. Um, so anything, that, this one was interesting, anything that is crucial 
the brain will protect through myelinization, myelinization. Um, those things we would never lose through pruning. Um, I believe that would be things like breathing, um, making sure that we are um, sort of tapping into when we are hungry, thirsty, um, and how to do those things. Anything that is crucial to keeping you alive, you're not going to lose through pruning, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, I, I think I need to do a bit more research on that to understand that more fully. Um, but if we use something daily, it's going to, it will remain, basically. So if you think of anything that you do on a daily basis, it will stay. Um, three hours of the brain, reptilian mammalian primate. Yep, got them all. Um, primate functions. Um, yep, did all of those. Ah, new experiences are initially categorized in our brain as dangerous. So, as soon as we have any new experience, our brain will go into reptilian. And the reptilian brain will say, this is dangerous because we don't know what's going to happen. So that fear, anxiety and worry is because we don't know the outcome. Um, oh, very interesting. Um, so that was that one. I said all of those things. I said all of those things. Apparently there is a book called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. This is apparently a really, really good book. I listened to a sample of it on audible for me the narrator wasn't strong enough to keep my attention i i struggle with academic reading um i i struggled to sort of focus and, and stay interested in that narrator wasn't doing it for me however that may be right up your street so that was a recommendation to me i am passing that recommendation on to you uh, that is all of the things that I learned and took away from that training. Um, but all in all, really good training, really interesting. Um, really loved it. Uh, so hopefully you found this interesting. Hopefully it could help you. Um, a bit of a longer episode tonight. Um, not going to apologize. You love it. <laughs> um, it. It was a two-hour long training so i had lots and lots to talk about um but i thought i'd share that with you as widely as possible because it was really 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 great to hear so hopefully that's helped you um any questions or anything like that please get in touch uh you can reach me adoptionadventures123 at gmail.com um, or you can find us on the socials adoption.adventures for instagram and Facebook, Adoption Advent 1 on Twitter. Until next week, fare thee well. <laughs>